it went straight down the middle. Then it started to So so we're we're coming out of the we're coming out of the seventies now, Jane. And of course, you know, if you look at the typical career, not not everybody, but it's sort of shaped like a bell curve, right? In terms of your your wins and your successes and your money winnings and everything else. So you're probably on the you're going to approach the downward slope now as you come off of this sensational run where you're winning four or five times a year. You win a couple of times in 1980. You win the Elizabeth Arden uh, down in Florida over Geraldine Britz and Debbie Massey, and then the Inamori Classic. I'm sorry, I, I should say the Inamori Classic is in 1980 where that made streak. Cut uh, right. cut streak ends. Yes, I, I probably misspoke when I mentioned Erickson. He would have been in place uh, back when you started in '69, perhaps in 1980. Probably a different a, a commissioner who I can't remember if it would have been Ray Volpe from '75 to '82. I thought he uh, was. I think it was John Lopheimer. Okay, I'll take your word for I, it. I I think. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I'll take your word for it. Anyway, so what's happening? Your mind, your body, your life, uh, how you feeling about your game? Are you realizing at this point that, you know what, we got these youngsters coming on and man, they're using <laughs> this new equipment and they're hitting it long. <laughs> yeah, they had hybrids. <laughs> well, it was, it was a combination of things. So start out, you know, winning the Elizabeth Arden again, just played really well. But then my back started acting up on me a little bit and I didn't stop playing but I made some uh, compensations in my yeah. in my golf swing which uh, didn't pay off yeah. uh, so I gradually just felt like you know I I felt oh let's finish top 10 instead of thinking about winning and then it was let's finish top 20 <laughs> and just um, the game just wasn't quite as good uh, I mean, I, you know, I made the cuts up until, you know, the the very end. But um, I just kind of felt, uh, and then once your game starts to go, you know, it does things with your mind. You start to lose that sense of confidence. Yeah. And it wasn't as much fun going to the golf course. It was just some of the, uh, the passion, the excitement um, had deteriorated. Uh, let's say not diminished is probably the, the better word. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now we get to the um, end of the year, you know, the uh, the fateful uh, Inamori Classic. And uh, then that doesn't, obviously doesn't go well. And uh, so I kind of uh, just kind of go, shoo, <laughs> you know, yeah. you kind of lose some steam, lose, lose some energy. And then it's, uh, okay, I, you know, do I want to... Um, evaluate you know where, where I am and um, it just all of a sudden it wasn't as much fun and I, I promised myself if I if there's a period of time where I cannot give a hundred percent then do something else yep. yeah. and you don't yeah. belong there because if uh, I have so much respect for the game and uh, I always and you know for the fans and I always want to give it my you know my very best and yeah. you can't do that with a, in a half-hearted way well and that and that uh, explains well sort of the the dry spell if you will from 80 mm-hmm. to 85 in terms of victories anyway but you know the 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 tour was still evolving uh, just a, another example for our listeners uh, uh, purses 1980 I mentioned earlier before a little over five million dollars coming out of that decade when the Dinah Shore was introduced and Colgate Palmolive was involved in the tour. 
by 1990, 10 years later, purses grew to about 17 million. So things were still happening to the positive in terms of the tour development. One of the things that that you and several ladies perhaps didn't agree with was in 1991, how the tour was being marketed. <laughs> and, you know, they chose, uh, they, they made a conscious decision to, uh, to use sex appeal to attract viewers, attract uh, followers, and so forth. Uh, and, you know, r- right or wrong, uh, uh, I think your point and the point of others was, wait a minute, we've got a lot of talent on this tour we should be showcasing. Is this a way to do it? Now, most of your opinions were expressed privately or perhaps to, to <laughs> friends and so forth. But uh, you decided to put your views down. You talked about writing and, and so forth. Well, you wrote them down, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, must have been that second <laughs> glass of wine. <laughs> 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 well, uh, it was, uh, I could mention writing. So uh, a friend of mine with the Miami Herald um, said, I'd like you to do a column. You know, it's write a column on something with the LPGA, women's golf. And I just received, we had the LPGA publication was called Fairway Magazine. And I had opened it up and I saw this photo shoot. And it was um, it was Muffin Spencer Devlin, Janet Coles, Jan Stevenson. There was one other player that I, I just don't, don't recall. But they were photographed in um, very, very suggestive um, situations like one was in laying on unmade bed, you know, partially sheets covering most of her. Um, there were, it wasn't, I mean, I was all in favor of sex appeal, whatever you can, you know, sell tickets and let's get people out there. But I think in my article, I, I remembered now, I called it quasi pornography. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, wow, this is just a little over the top. It's not showing someone in a, a great with a great body and a short skirt and someone that's worked out. It was very, very suggestive, and it wasn't sex appeal. It was more like sex. Yeah. So uh, I just felt it was not appropriate, and my article stated something effect that uh, the LPJ has so much talent. And at a time, and I think I mentioned Billie Jean King's name in there, when women athletes are starting to be respected for what they are doing as opposed to what they look like yeah, yeah. then uh, this is a little uh, inconsistent off kilter and uh, so I called out the LPGA but the the unfortunate thing is because Jan Stevens and I have been we're great friends today we always were good friends I so much respect for her work ethic and her ability to play um, but they took Jan's picture and attached it to the article so now it looked like it was an attack on Jan Stevenson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a few words, and then, uh, oh, boy, did that. And then, so this is a Miami Herald. Well, lo and behold, it hit the uh, AP. So now associated, now it's in every newspaper in the yeah. country. <laughs> so now I'm the, uh, now I'm like the, the evil, the bad, the bad guy. And here's poor Jan, the innocent victim. But it was, uh, and when they, some of the uh, article was reprinted that was totally out of context. Yeah. So they, as I'm sure that's never happened to either one no, of you. No, no, <laughs> no, never happened. Never. No. And yeah. uh, so Jan and I had some long talks after that. Uh, and they wanted, uh, you know, they wanted to really pit us. They were trying to create this great rivalry, yeah. Um, yeah. this yeah. hype. And uh, I 
decided not to fuel it. I'd had enough in my life. Yeah. And uh, so I refused some of the talk shows. I said, no, no, this is private. But it was much more of the LPGA's marketing initiative than anything to do with, with Jan. Right, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it was very real. And uh, I think they probably, in retrospect, felt they got the results out of that. But as you say, when, when you talk to Jan Stevenson, which we did about this particular time in her life, uh, uh, if she had it to do over again, as I mentioned she to you before, she wouldn't do it. No. Uh, she felt it detracted from her record as a player. And as you know, uh, and as you mentioned, as hard a worker probably out on that tour as anybody. You're and right. so, you know, if, if if you're listening to this and you're old enough, you remember this time and you remember some of the posters that were up on little boys' <laughs> walls and things. Yeah. But uh, what people t- sometimes unfortunately take away from that is – Jan Stevenson, pinup girl, much like uh, uh, well, some of the others of that era. But but here's a woman that won 27 times professionally, 16 times on the tour, and won three majors. So yeah. she was a player with a great record in the Hall of Fame, and yet sometimes what people remember her for are not her not not her playing capabilities. Yeah, no, I agree, and that that frustrates me as well because she is such a great player and. Yeah. Uh, does this mean uh, she's going through a challenging time right now? Right now uh, she is, yeah. But she, uh, uh, one of the tournaments I run is the team championship, and I was paired with Jan uh, a couple years ago, and she and her partner, Laura Diaz, won the tournament. And, oh. boy, Jan, she hasn't lost a bit of that competitive fight. She <laughs> she was great. And I was like, um, you know, it was more that the LPGA, Jan, whatever she wants to do, promoting herself was fine. You know, the golf balls in the bathtub. Yeah. Uh, but when the LPGA is is doing that, that's what I took exception yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. Well, you came out of this stretch I mentioned from, from 80 to 85. You came out of that and still had a couple of wins in you, didn't you? Yeah. Well, I, I took I took time off. I uh, went back to New Hampshire I rented a house, uh, actually right on the ocean, uh, in the, uh, Newcastle, New Hampshire, just, uh, Wentworth by the sea. And I just took, wanted just to think. I read books. I just, uh, did other things, you know, got to, uh, you know, kind of get back with my family again, not separated, but you know, I did a little life mm-hmm. of travel. And I just kind of just wanted to cool it and just make decisions. I didn't want to make any quick decisions about my future. I just wanted to allow it to come to me. And uh, and it did. Uh, so it was after about a year and a half, I said, you know something? I'm not done. Uh, I'm not old. Um, I hadn't turned 40 yet. And I said, I think I might have a little fight in me. So I uh, uh, changed my hairstyle. I changed my golf equipment. I went to uh, Ed Oldfield for instruction. He had worked oh, with sure. Betsy King very successfully. Yeah, yeah. And I said, let's try, let's do something totally different. So I, uh, I shouldn't say recommitted because I've never not been committed, but I said, let's just, let's just work on it. Let's see what happens. Well, at the end of, um, toward the end of 84, I had some, uh, I felt things happening. I felt, um, my ball striking was different. I had some top 10 finishes and, you know, that's all it takes. So I had gone from, you know, mm-hmm. let's, you know, let's top 10, top 20, let's make the cut <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. the time off. And then I kind of felt, Ooh, something's coming back here. And I felt that kind of the competitive juices were flowing freely again. Uh, but more importantly, my ball striking was good. 
So I continued to work on it through the winter of uh, 84 and uh, came out in 85 and just had a great year and just uh, hit it well. Again, excellent ball striking. Uh, my, my putting never left me. So uh, I had that. And, um, you know, the biggest um, 85. So now I hadn't won. Now we go to Hawaii uh, to the Kemper. And uh, wind is that oh, it was 30, 40 <laughs> mile an hour gusts that you couldn't, you couldn't stand up. We we're at Kanapali. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and Pat Bradley and I had separated ourselves from the field. I mean, it was one, it was just, it was a two person horse race. And, uh, you know, going back on my old, you know, wind, wind shots and uh, coming down the stretch and, um, you know, playing with Pat. We get to the last hole. She has a one-shot lead. Mm. And uh, Seth, I can't tell you how hard the wind is blowing in our face. Uh, and um, she hit made a left. mistake. <laughs> she hit it and, left? Uh, yeah, she hit it left. I tried to hit it, too. I said, I, I want to win. So I tried to, yeah, you had to carry a, a, a pond. And so I carried the pond. But then it came back in. So I've say I, I missed by about a foot of having a perfect shot. So then I had to drop it. And, uh, but I got to drop it on the green side because I had said it carried it. And, um, Pat had a putt to win. Um, and she left it or to tie. She left it short. Maybe it was a putt for, um, I, can't remember exactly, but all I know is I had about a, a seven, seven, to eight foot putt and uh, left a rider slow <laughs> and I rammed it home and right in the hole. <laughs> so that kind of, that was a huge victory. I had one in, you know, few years. So it was very meaningful. And, you know, Pat and I are both from the, you know, we're friends too. Same area. Yeah. It was really fun beating her in that. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to beat your friends. And uh, so that was, uh, that was, that was huge. But then yeah. the best part after I won, um, and, you know, so now we're talking, yeah, I hadn't won since 1980. So here we are in Hawaii. We're staying at this beautiful Marriott. So I decided, and I won $45,000. Well, I was rich. I mean, mm -hmm. that was huge. Like, But the money didn't mean anything. It was kind of a redemption. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, so I invited all the caddies, the media, the players. I threw a party. It was St. Patrick's Day ah. uh, by the pool. And $5,500 later, I wrote a check <laughs> to the Marriott. <laughs> Uh, they had a band playing. I paid the band extra money to stay on, to play longer. It was players to this day talk about that party. Oh, it was cool. one of those things you do that it was like, wow, the culmination yeah. of, uh, you know, the, the drought and winning. And it was, it was so much fun. So, yeah. well, that was your last win in the U S but you still had one win in you later that year. Cause you right. went to Japan and won, um, uh, with a final round 64, you wait till your, your last win to, to shoot your career best, I guess. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> well, that was, that was a round of golf of the ages. Uh, cause I was also trying to qualify. They had the Mazda, um, it was a 
champions and LPG, the top 10 would go to Jamaica and play a team event. And you're allowed to bring guests. So I said, I want to bring my family. I want to bring my parents with me. And uh, so I had motivation. And uh, I, you know, hit the ball well the first couple rounds or, and then uh, the first three rounds. Then the final day, um, it was a par 73, but it was the finest ball striking day I've ever had in my life and will ever have. I hit... Um, three and four irons for my second shots. It wasn't one of those courses where you're hitting wedges. Uh, It was just an extraordinary, I I think I missed one green. I made a putt for a bogey, which saved me. So I actually made 10, made, uh, yeah, 10 birdies. And, uh, but I did it with just long irons. And, uh, and then it came down to the, I had Lopez in back of me and IU2, who was a great Japanese player in back of me or a player that played the Japanese tour. And I had to make myself suffer. I had to make a, you know, five or six footer on the last hole to kind of seal the deal. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, then I knew, uh, but it was, uh, and Bruce, you know how in, in Japan, it's the ceremony and the pomp and circumstance. Pomp and, it's, yeah, uh, that's right. I'm sending at the presentation, receiving gift after gift, which I still have many of them. Right. And, um, you know, did my, my few remarks that I learned in Japanese to show my respect. But I'm sitting at the presentation and I literally felt or physically felt something come out of me. I it's almost like this is it. I, I made the comeback. I gave it everything I have, and I think this is a wonderful way to end. Mm. It was. I remember that feeling to this day. It was just like, like someone took the handcuffs off, you know, permission. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, at that time, gave myself permission to move on and do something else in my life. Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me, one in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Pan and Shepard as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about Malbatross? And and move on you did shortly thereafter because you really didn't play full-time for very much longer after that, did you? No. I dabbled in 86. In my mind, I had left. I had, I had honored some commitments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, some... Uh, courses that were the volunteers and the tournament chair had been kind and asked me to play um, the Dinah just for because um, I wanted to play that, but um, I had uh, already kind of one one foot out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, easy decision at that point then. Very, yeah, because I had um, I didn't need to prove anything else, and and then uh, I took. Right after that, I took some time. Um, I guess I'm really good at taking time and thinking. But by leaving, now I have won, let's see, then I had still won 29 tournaments. That's yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. That was still L- in the LPGA official. Yeah, I had yeah. won 29 official tournaments still at that time. Yeah. And so 
you know, with the Hall of Fame criteria then was specific. And I said, okay, it might, uh, do I want to abandon the quest for the Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. So that summer I went to spent a couple of weeks on Monhegan, Monhegan Island off the coast of Maine. And again, very generators, just very, uh, you know, nothing fancy, just uh, absolutely beautiful kind of an artist colony. And I just did a lot of walking and, uh, and thinking and actually wrote it. Uh, I put it on paper. I think I still have it, four or five pages on, uh, you know, why I'm leaving and why it's okay to leave. And I said, okay, uh, I, by leaving now, I am giving up the chance to be in the Hall of Fame. And that's okay because is, is I gave it the game of golf everything I had. I got, I couldn't have, you know, for a kid from New Hampshire, I couldn't have gotten any more out of the game that, than I did. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, if I was inducted in the Hall of Fame, is that going to change the way I look in the mirror? Is that going to change the way people are that are important to me perceive me? And when I figured out, the answer was no. <laughs> and that it was time for me to move on and do some things I really wanted to do. Yeah. And that it, that it was okay. Yep. So I just, I made the decision that it's okay not to continue the quest to be to go into the Hall of Fame because the clock is ticking and I want to make a difference doing some other things. Yeah. yeah. Did Did you ever publish that or make it available to anybody? No, no, I haven't. <laughs> Interesting. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll have throw- to I'll have to see where I where I filed it away because I I reread it a while ago. I went, wow, that's pretty uh, that's pretty profound. Yeah. Mm. Well, we 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 I know Bruce and I would love yeah. to make it part of your record in perpetuity along with this story uh, uh but anyway just uh just thought as I'd long as i'm question. not i don't i didn't slander anyone in there yeah yeah, yeah. you have to, I'll have to go it. take a look you better reread it i bet yeah. you didn't so before we get to sort of life after golf i just want to quickly spin through the majors because you know i didn't make the point at the top but uh, you stand in the ladies world as the as the uh, uh the lady that won the most tournaments without a major and yet, when you look through your major record, boy, you were sure there a lot. You had a lot of chances. And so I'm just going to, I'll spin through a few. You know, we talked about the Dinosaur, you winning the inaugural, but it wasn't a major until 1983. Right. In 85 and 86, uh, uh, you know, uh, by then you were you were fairly deep into your career. And so maybe not a, as high a finish in, at, in the Dyna when it was a major. But the LPGA, you finished second in 72 at Pleasant Valley. You, uh, uh, in 1980, you were second to Sally Little at the at the Nicholas Sports Center <laughs> in Ohio. Uh, U.S. Open, a third in 71 to Susie, and a third to Joanne Carner in 76. You had a fourth place at the Des Maurier. Uh, title holders, probably only one, I would guess, that you played in. That was the last one that was sort of a reprise of a of a tournament that really ended back in the 60s, but they played it one more time in 72 in Pine Needles uh, where you were T7 to Sandra Palmer. So, And I'm sure there are others uh, that I didn't mention, but but you put yourself in contention a lot. Yeah, well, my, during most of my era, uh, we only had two majors. Yeah. We had the LPGA uh, Championship and the and the Open. Right. And yep. uh, <laughs> Sally Little is one of my great friends and uh, – and then I'm introducing her. We've done some clinics together. 
and we say she's the she skipped a ball through the water at the uh, LPGA, made it on the green, and that's why I didn't win my my major LPGA championship. <laughs> so we always joke about it. I, I tell her she stole it from me, and you know that's all in, in jest. And then the funny story is that that open when the big mama uh, connection with Sandra and Joanne Carner, we'd had several rain delays. That final day, and I was making a charge. And I can't remember, it was a par three. It was, I think it was the 15th hole. And Pim was on the front of the green, and I hit what I thought was a pretty good shot, hit the front of the green, and then it uh, sucked back into the bunker. Again, now it's wet. And in the bunker, and, and I've never known the USGA to do this, but because of the torrential rains, there was a huge washout area. I mean, it was a trench. And my ball ended up in that trench, and I couldn't make contact with it. Oh, my. So they had, you know, after the rain, they didn't change anything, but somehow it was an oversight. They never fixed it. And mm. I'm not making this up. Wow. And then I ended up, you know, swatting and swatting, and I ended up uh, finally chipping in for a double bogey. Oh, my goodness. And I was on a move, so I remember that one well, because that's one that I thought uh, I really had a chance to win, because I was playing so well. It was just a little bit, uh, you know, the shot wasn't perfect to the green, but it wasn't, certainly wasn't that that bad. bad. But one of those things that um, just, there was no way to make uh, contact with that. So those were my two that I really should have. Uh, Susie Burning had a pretty good lead at that uh, Wingfoot at that event. Um, But that was... uh, they had had a lot of rain then too, and the God, the rough rough was at least a foot deep and wet. We used to have to <laughs> sandwiches to even get out of it. Yeah. And the Dumari, it was another one. I always uh, I played with those were uh, very very fast greens. I always putted well on fast greens, but um, yeah. never. Um, they had presented a um, a bowl to the person that played the best in all the majors during a year. And I did win that, not winning a major. Yeah, I'll be darned. So, uh, yeah, I had my I had my chances, but just yeah. didn't. Um, I was never a great driver of the golf ball. I could hit it in play, but that was not my my strength. So I mm. think had I been a better driver of the golf ball, I would have had a better chance to um, you know to compete at the Opens. Yeah, well, to your point, uh, from 1968 to 1978, with the exception of one year. So for those 11 years. Ten of those years, only two majors. You mentioned what they were. And then in 72, of course, they brought back the title holders just for a one-off. I'm not quite sure why they did that, why it wasn't sustained. But in the early days, the title holders, of course, uh, was, uh, oh, I guess even before the Dinah Shore was sort of the masters for the LPGA Tour. Because it was Augusta Country Club right there, one golf course the same year every year. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it's funny, I mean, and it's not, I mean, when you look at major records, and now you have five. Yeah, and that's something. <laughs> but again, I'm never one to say, poor me, that wasn't meant to no. meant to uh, denote that. Well, one of the big things that came out of uh, your career as you, as you move on away from golf, which you never really got away from golf, uh, but you were quite instrumental in uh, in raising the flag for let's call it the Legends Tour. It's gone by different names, but you were at the forefront of saying, hey, we've got to do something for these ladies that can still play. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. It was uh, it was frustrating. You know, we'd always talk in the locker room and the, you know, the guys had their chance to continue competing and make some money, you know, beyond the, you know, the prime, prime of life. And, uh, you know, we didn't have it. We didn't have a chance. And so um, I just um, I, I said to the players, I said, let's stop talking in the locker room because that's not to accomplish anything. Yeah. Let's see. Let's go out there and see what we can do. So, um, you know, I started talking to the LPGA and, you know, it was, um, gosh, Taivo Ta. Um, mm-hmm. And we should have a women's senior tour. And, you know, and again, I saved all that communication. I guess I'm a, a hoarder. A hoarder. <laughs> for important documents. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it, it didn't go anywhere. So um, I said, got to the players and I said, well, why don't we? Um, and I had the help of Jan Stevenson, Hollis Stacy, and Sally Little that were instrumental. So I uh, convinced. 25 players to put up $5,000. I said, let's get our own tour going. Let's, uh, and we talked to Ray Volpe thinking that Ray's the one that really had, you know, made magic, uh, with the LPJ during Nancy's, uh, Nancy's career. So it was kind of a, I mean, I could, this would be another, you know, a two hour conversation, yeah, sure. but, you know, everything went into it, but, uh, we didn't get much help from the LPGA. They thought we were competing against them. They said, there's only a small, you know, so many dollars out there and we don't want any competition for those dollars. Um, Till I was able, oh, so then I went to the players. We send out RFPs to a few different, you know, the IMGs of the world, different um, uh, agencies and no one really wanted any part of it. Uh, We paid Ray some money and nothing really happened. And so I said, I just don't want this to go away. I think it's a good idea because, I mean, you've got, you know, Patty Sheehan, Amy Alcott, Pat Bradley, Nancy Lopez, uh, mm-hmm. still Joanne Carter, Kathy Whitworth. You've got all those generations that can still play. And so uh, I was able to um, uh, talk to folks in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And this is, uh, this started in 1990. So this was in 89. And uh, I got them to put up a $500,000 purse, sign a three-year deal for the first um, women's senior golf tour, WSGT, Women's Senior Golf Tour Tournament. Yeah. And um, the LPGA was very restrictive. They can only have a tournament on times when the LPGA is out of the country. I said, but we don't get your schedule until <laughs> the end of the year. And how can we arrange tournaments and we don't know your schedule? But somehow we were allowed. I think they were there in Europe. It was in August. And we had 15,000 people show up in Green Bay that first day. Wow. wow. And again, I still have photos from that. It was the energy and the players. I mean, it was it was fantastic. So that was, that was the beginning. Yeah. And uh, yeah. gradually... Um, the LPGA never really helped us. Um, for years, they somehow just felt that we were competitive. So we really did this on our own. Uh, I just used some of my, uh, in my brief stint in the financial world, working for Merrill Lynch, I had some sales skills. Uh, I had belief in the product and I liked to write. So I wrote some good proposals. <laughs> I made some good pitches and uh, and gradually we picked up, you know, more and more events. And then we said, well, women's senior golf tour, no one wants to name senior. The guys had changed from the senior tour to the champions tour. So then we came up with the legends tour. Yeah. yeah. You know, unfortunately, uh, uh, 
Too often, people think that life is a zero-sum game when it comes to things like the pool of advertisers that might be available for the LPGA Tour, for example. But that's generally not true, is it? No, no. I mean, uh, my argument, Juan, this would totally expand the LPGA brand. I mean, do you want Nancy Lopez sitting at home or do you want her out there with crowds yeah. signing autographs? And, uh, and I said, uh, we had an event um, at the Wegmans. It was an 35th anniversary. And so they brought 12 of us back, the past winners, to play on a Tuesday. At one o'clock, uh, 25,000 people showed up to watch. It was, you know, Pat Bradley, she and Whitworth. Um, uh, me, <laughs> that's what I remember. <laughs> it was uh, unbelievable. I mean, so people did want to watch it. So we said, well, the LPGA, maybe you do an event like the Monday before or the Monday after. We we tried everything, yeah. every little bit of strategy, uh, but we just never could quite uh, get them to embrace us. Well, you fi- you had to finally be gratified when the USGA got around to f- to establishing <laughs> the Senior Women's Open, the first of which you competed in at Chicago Golf Club. Right, that was a uh, it was a long um, process. Again, for for years, and since I'm a hoarder, I saved those letters too. You know, back to uh, <laughs> gosh, course. Judy Bell when Judy was head was head of the USGA, the members yeah. of the Women's Committee, uh, you name it. I mean, a, a president of the USGA did not did never missed one of my letters, <laughs> and uh, so finally um, it happened, and it happened in style and uh, a little a uh, little late in coming. Yeah. Uh, said they missed some of the. Um, the really the golden age of women's golf, the players with those fabulous personalities. But a few of us did get to play at uh, Chicago golf, which was special. So uh, kudos to the um, USGA for finally stepping up. Yep. Yeah. Bruce, the list of awards and accolades for our guest today is quite long. It sure is. I'm just going to name a few of them. <laughs> 1990 President's Council for Sport and Physical Fitness. Yeah, my name is the Honorable, by the way, since I'm a presidential appointee. Pardon me. Yeah. 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 And then in uh, 95, the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation's Volunteerism Award. You were inducted into the Legend Hall of Fame in 2014. And you did a little bit of golf commentary too. Uh, I did. I did a little did. bit See, I, for uh, NBC and ESPN. Is there any more of that likely? Well, they're I saying no, so. you're too old. No, it was you know it was fun. It, I did it for yeah. a few years, yeah. and it kind of kept me. Uh, that's when when we got the Legends Tour going. I had a chance to be around the players. Yeah. So that was very beneficial, uh, and it kind of kept my hand in, in the game and. Uh, you know, so that was that was been there, done that. Also authored two books, right? The right. Guts to Win, the first one, and then Gimme's Bogies and Business in 1999. Oh, and one interesting point, I think, was uh, we all remember Leroy Neiman and all <laughs> of his paintings. Yeah. Well, he did one of Jane Swing, and uh, I don't think I've ever seen that, Jane. Oh, you run by an, it, take me, send know, me a copy. Yep, I will, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was such an honor. Uh, yeah, what an honor. Yeah, I, I, I met Leroy at a dinner in New York, and we're sitting at the same table. And uh, I had 
collected some of his paintings. So whenever I want something, I would buy a Neiman painting because I just thought they were really good, particularly his sports paintings. Yes. And uh, so he just started sketching and, you know, he said, why don't you come to New York? I'd like to have lunch with you. So I came back to New York, had lunch with him. He said, I'd like to paint you. So I have, uh, I went, wow. And so I had the original oil uh, sitting about five yards from where I am right now. Oh, you are now. <laughs> and he made some, he made some copies, some, not lithographs, but some posters, which he signed, which I had given to oh, some of my friends. Nice. So that was, uh, yeah. yeah, I felt that was very, very special having Leroy paint me. Well, if you have a nice photo of that, you'll have to send that along. We can use that for episode art for one of the parts yes, of our that'd be nice. talk with you. Okay, yeah. but I, when you look at it, my shorts were never that short. <laughs> <laughs> but you did have your clothes on. <laughs> I did indeed. <laughs> but this that was sex appeal <laughs> <That's right. laughs> with the shorter shorts. There you go. There but, you so go. I, I, I will send that to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we wrap up... Um, We've got to ask you what you're doing today, what you're what you're uh, busy with, with uh, your golf endeavors. Well, the thing I'm very proud of, and it was, uh, you know, you alluded to the book Skimmies, Bogies, and Business. Um, uh, almost 30 years ago, I created what was then called the LPGA Golf Clinics for Women because of my experience both on the LPGA playing in Pearl Ams and then uh, in the financial business um, with Merrill Lynch. I use my golf to my advantage. I was invited to every charity, corporate type boondoggle, and I was typically the only woman. So um, it troubled me. So I decided to create a program uh, that would answer some of the the questions that women had that I'm not, or or the barriers, uh, you know, they weren't confident, they weren't comfortable, uh, they felt excluded. So I decided to create a program that would change that. So uh, we started with one in 1990, uh, in Washington, D.C., it was sold out. We had about 100 women. We had Marilyn Quayle came that day. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, fast forward, um, said years later, now it's under the PJ of America umbrella as they're trying to attract more, um, you know, more of the great uh, teachers and coaches to the game, to the PGA brand or certainly the dual. And so we have these one-day events we do all over the country. Um AIG, who's a big, uh, you know, they sponsor the British, the women's um, right. major yeah. championship. Mm-hmm. They're our presenting sponsor, Fidelity Investments, MetLife, Callaway Golf. Uh, they all uh, support our program, and they invite their top women uh, to kind of provide them with better relationship development tools and uh, in turn invite clients. So it's uh, it's turned into a very successful program and we've just had accolades and great feedback of the, the difference we've made in women's careers, advancing their careers, kind of we're empowering them and elevating them. So uh, I'm very proud of that program and our LPGA and PGA teachers just love every moment of it. So um yeah, it's uh, that's my number one accomplishment. Yeah, as you great. should be that's proud. Great. Congratulations to you. Uh, before we let you go, uh, we always have three questions we like to ask our guests, and I'm going to let Mr. Devlin take the first one. Okay. I'm going to take what you know now and allow you to take it back to when you were 
21 years old. What would you do differently? <laughs> Nothing. That's a perfect answer. Yeah, and that is... Uh... Yeah, I made the comment that I got so much out of my life, there's really nothing I would do any differently. Terrific. All right, I'm going to ask you about one thing you might do differently, because I'm going to give you one career mulligan. Where would you take it? One shot in your career anywhere. Where would you take it? At the U.S. Open at Rolling Hills on that par three. <laughs> Maybe asking for a rules official. The, the, I don't the know. one that, no, I should have had a better shot. I shouldn't have tried to, I got greedy. Yeah. <laughs> pin was up front, hit it just past the pin, especially when it's wet and yeah. elevated green. Uh, so that would be, yeah, that's, that's definitely one. Yeah. All right, good. Okay, so. How would you like to be remembered? As a person that never gave up on anything and, you know, not afraid to take risks on behalf of others. Um, you use the word resilience. I like perseverance also. Um, and, um, and I like intestinal fortitude. So, um, yeah, it's just um, I always want to think that I never, never quit, never gave up on anything at all. And you didn't do that today with Mike and I. We want to thank you so much, Jane, for, for being with us today. As we said at the early part of the show, we we thought about having you on this program for a long time, and we <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. It's been very rewarding. Well, it's very special for me, so uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, for everything. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word, and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway, it went smack down the fairway. And it started to slice just a smidge off line It headed for two, but it bounced off nine My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay Yes, it went straight down the middle Quite a way